You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. About 10 or 15 years ago, I was at a different church and a a guy that I had sort of gotten to know um, came up to me and said, I'm so excited, I've got a guy in, a friend of mine from out of town. He is not a Christian, but uh, I'd like to bring him by and let you meet him. And while we're meeting with him, can you convert him? And I said, no problem. I'll do that. I will make disciples. I will do it. I will make him a disciple. And uh, I said, no, I, well, let me, let me clarify. What I'll do instead is I'd love to just meet this guy, but then I'll be watching, and if there's kind of a, I'll just be praying. If there's some kind of open lane, I can maybe have a spiritual conversation to set you up to talk more later, to have like a real depth with him, you know, then I'll look for that. So we're just, he came by, and we're just chatting away. Real nice guy, and um, I'm just praying, Lord, is there, if there's an opening, I'm going to take it and show it to me. And um, he, we were talking about, some, he, he told some story, and then I said, no way, there's no way that's true. And he goes, oh, no, that is the gospel truth. <laughs> and I said, and we were, we were vibing a little bit, and so I just said, well, that's fine. I, I had no idea you thought the gospel was that true. And, uh, and he goes, well, I don't know if I really do. And I said, oh, so you're lying to me because you just said it's the gospel truth. And so we had a fun little kind of back and forth and he said, oh, no, no, no. And he said, he said, well, actually, listen to this. He said, actually, I don't even know if I know what that is. And I'm still praying and I said, you don't know what what is. And I'll never forget it. He said, the gospel. He said, I don't know what the gospel is, I don't think. What is the gospel? I said, well, anytime, Lord, I'm ready, if you'll just uh, <laughs> give me an opening. We had a great conversation. I wish I could say, you know, the, the roof pulled back and angels descended and we pray, you know, all that. But we, we did pray together and everything. But I just, we got to have a great conversation about what the gospel was. But it sort of haunted me a little bit. This man, especially like that was in the Bible Belt. And here's this guy in a church that just goes, what is the gospel? How would you answer that? Like, do you know what the gospel is? Like, could, could you answer that question? Do you have a kind of an idea of what it is? And I'd say even more than that, like, do you know why it matters every second of every day? That's what we're gonna be doing over the next several weeks is really digging into this, the gospel message and what it means. Because I think a lot of Christians today have, have um, one of two views on it, just sort of deep in the recesses of our mind, and they both start with S. One is that it's a someday message that, well, someday when this life is over, I get to go and be with the Lord. That's, that's the gospel. That's it, which is great. That doesn't really mean anything for today then. It just is about someday. Or I say that sometimes we think sporadically. You know, it's, it's, oh yeah, I think about this gospel, which I guess is sort of religion or faith or God or the Bible or church, but it's sort of on this spiritual level. That's the spiritual stuff. But I mean, I've got kids, I'm trying to get them to do homework. I've got, I've got a health issue that I'm, a financial issue. I'm dealing with these things. Like I'm in the real world and the gospel's sort of on this other plane and the two don't really connect. I mean, every so often, maybe they do. That's kind of how we can think of it sometimes. And the Lord wants this story of the gospel, he wants this to be the story and the truth that runs our life. It matters every day. It matters every single second of every day. This is developing a Christian worldview and understanding this message of what God has done for us to Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. I want this to matter to you constantly. 
That's God's desire. That's my desire as a pastor is to say, I want this to be the thing that's always on your mind. It's more than just Bible study, more, more than just prayer, more than just you know, coming to church, or more than even just morality. This message of the gospel is so much greater than any of that. So what is it? Well, the gospel is first and foremost news. In fact, the word gospel, if you got my email on Christmas, we talked about this one. The gospel, um, the word gospel is this word euangelion in Greek where we get the word evangelize or um, evangelist, somebody who brings the good news. And it shows up in, uh, in Luke chapter two. Remember when the, um, the, shepherd, the uh, angel came to the shepherds in the field to announce the birth of Christ? Well, remember what the angel said in Luke two? Fear not, for behold, I bring you Euangelion, I bring you gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Well, what is that news? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It is that there is a Savior. There's no way to, um, to just take one message and go, let me just explain all the nuances of the gospel. We're going to take several weeks here leading up to Lent. We've got six or seven weeks, something like that. And we're just gonna be talking about this message of the gospel. But here you can see, first and foremost, you need to know that it is news. It is good news about what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So that's what he's sharing with the shepherd, the angel is. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord, that God sent his son to save us. So we're gonna do this over the next several weeks about the, see why this news of what God has done for us is so important. I, I, don't, even, I don't want this to be just a, something that you get and go, oh good, I have the gospel. Whenever I remember it, I can always sort of come back to it. I don't want you to leave it. I want that to be the thing that is in the forefront of your mind constantly and show you, as we walk through scripture, show you all the different ways that the gospel matters every second of every day of your life. I started jotting down some ideas. The gospel and the gospel alone gives you purpose. The gospel gives you a cause in life so you can have a life of meaning. It transcends all the circumstances. Remember Paul in Philippians, he gets thrown in jail and listen to his attitude while he's in jail. He would have been the most frustrating guy to try and imprison or put down and like squelch his fire for the Lord. He's in prison and he writes this letter, um, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. He says, I want you to know brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Me being in prison, this is okay because it's advanced the gospel. Here's what it says. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He was out sharing the gospel. He gets put in prison for the gospel and what does he do? He's, the guards are there and he goes, well, you're, you're a, like literally a captive audience at this point. And so he just shares the gospel with him. But it goes more. He says, most, uh, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul knew this message of the gospel, and so that, that was so much bigger than anything happening. So he's in prison, and he just goes, well, I guess I'll just tell them the good news too. And the people outside are watching Paul and going, you're in prison, and you're sharing. Oh, good. Well, if you can do it, I can do it. And then the gospel's just starting to go like crazy. It transcends circumstances. I'm definitely, I don't know what I'm doing messages on yet. I'm definitely gonna be talking about this one because 
the church is losing the cause battle in the world. The secular world is stepping in, especially to a younger generation, and saying, oh, this is such a great cause. Go march about this, or tweet about this, or protest about this, or sign this petition about this. And some of those are good things. Some of them are terrible things. Some of them are good things. And, the, and Christians have not really stepped in to say, do you know the gospel? Because it is the greatest cause. So much better than anything else that the world can come up with. So that's a tease. We'll talk about that one in a few weeks. But what else does the gospel do? The gospel and the gospel alone when we're in worry can bring us peace. The gospel and the gospel alone when we're in grief can help us find our joy. The gospel alone can embolden us when we're feeling weak. The gospel alone when we're being, feeling insignificant can show us the significance that we have. The gospel can do this. If, you, if you're maybe one of those people that really um, cares a lot about being accepted by other people, it's an exhausting way to live. The gospel says you are accepted by your creator, God himself. Or maybe you get in the performance trap. I just gotta, just gotta climb one more rung. Just gotta get one more zero on the end of my savings. I just gotta get a little better, a little more in shape, a little more, a little more, be a little better. That's exhausting as well. The gospel says you're enough. Or we talked today about wanting to make the world better, make it a better place. The gospel and gospel alone really teaches us. This is how we serve one another, like really serve one another. The gospel alone says this is how you love one another, like really, really love one another without anything, expecting anything in return. That's what the gospel does. And today, and I almost skipped over this one, and I brought it up to a few people, and every single person said, don't you dare, because this one could seem so elementary about what the gospel is, but here's what I want you to hear today, and I'll show you this text that you just heard read. In a very unforgiving world, you can live forgiven now. In a very unforgiving world, you can live forgiven now. Let me read it again, Colossians chapter two. I'm gonna read two of these verses. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This might be one of the best passages in scripture where you have this, this deep truth and then this incredible picture to illustrate it. This is where theology and imagery meet in an incredible way. Like, let, me, let me show this to you. It says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, it might mean a couple things. One is it's probably Gentiles that he's talking to, and so uncircumcision of your flesh. The, the other thing is um, before you are in Christ, the idea of we have this flesh nature that just dominates everything. He's saying that's who you are were before you came to faith in Christ. And so that flesh, in a sense, had to be removed. So it's kind of graphic, but you can see the parallel there that he's trying to draw and put it in language they would understand. So you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And then it says, God made alive together with him. We were dead in our sin and God brought us to life. This is something, our, our salvation um, our problem that we have is something that only God can figure out a way to remedy, and he did through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what this is saying. Remember in um, John chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he starts, okay, we know you come from God, 
and he's confused and he's trying to piece it together. He was, a, he was on the Sanhedrin, which was the, um, they, they governed, it was the governing body of all the Jewish affairs in Roman uh, Palestine back in that day. He was on that, like leader. Uh, he was a Pharisee as well. And so he comes to Jesus and is trying to figure this out. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. That's where that phrase comes from in John chapter three. And the word actually says, be born from above. But that's where Nicodemus gets confused and goes, I'm a grown man. I can't be born again, like in a physical sense is what he's picturing. And Jesus says, you gotta be born from above. What was Nicodemus's life to that point? It's ground up. It is, I'm gonna be the most righteous, white knuckle believer in God that I can possibly be. I am going to just work, 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 and assuming that if I'm good, I am building up, I am working my way up. And so these, in the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, I mean, they would look around and be like, well, I'm better than these guys, so surely I've got to be kind of on a different plane before God. And here God takes this man who is, is as pious and worldly righteousness as you can possibly have, and he knocks him down a peg and says, you have to be born again, and it's something that only God can do. You cannot work enough to earn the favor of God. So that's the dilemma. So what has to happen? The next phrase just says, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Good big Bible word for sin. Forgiven us all our trespasses. You can look, it says all. All. And I, I, I gotta say, I think it's hard to believe, and I, I feel like I talk about this a lot, but I, I think like our world, we have what I call sitcom forgiveness, which is um, there's two people in a sitcom, they only got, well, it was 22 minutes, now with streaming, I don't know, but 22 minutes. You got your 22-minute show, and you've only got time for so much, and so somebody wrongs somebody else, and how do they demonstrate forgiveness? It's either, um, I hate you, that's unforgivable, I'll never talk to you again, and we all go, okay, and move on with the show, or it's like you're genuinely like hurt and um, or one character's genuinely hurt and just goes, okay, I understand and just sort of gets over it really quick and you're like, okay, neither of those, that's false by the way, like neither of those are good options. And so we just don't see very good examples of forgiveness in the world today. And so when we say God has forgiven you all your sin, there's gotta be, a lot of times there's something in us that just goes, Really? Like we live in such an unforgiving world. You might have seen Will Smith gotten a little bit of a jam recently here at the Oscars. Um, and he is doing what a lot of celebrities have had to do. They kind of usually kind of pause for a little bit and then they go and they do their sort of apology tour and um, share. And, 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 and who knows, sometimes it could be very sincere. Sometimes it's just trying to you know, get past it. I don't know. I'd, I'd sort of try to assume the best, but um, I watched, I don't, I don't, this is Trevor Noah on The Daily Show. I don't watch that show anymore, but I watched the clip on YouTube. It's got some language, but I still would um, advise you at some point, you might want to go look for it. It's a really fascinating clip. I shared this with some of you at the Bible study. Um, it's a fascinating clip of Will Smith, who I'm sure you know, but just in case, during the Oscars, Chris Rock said something about his wife, and he walked up in front of everybody and slapped him. Um, and then he's on this, he, he was sort of quiet for a while, and then he goes on the show, and for Trevor Noah, whatever you think of him, he actually, I thought, did a good job of going, obviously this was a bad thing you did, and you shouldn't have done it. And he, he did sort of say, this was wrong, and Will Smith was like, yeah, yeah, I know. But then I watched for, it's about 
two or three minutes, which is a long time when I tell you what he did. He, he was trying to explain to everybody why he did what he did and, and, and um, clarify how sorry he was that he made that mistake. And I'm watching, and it is, it, it is agonizing to watch because he's, he's talking about, you know, I shouldn't have done it and, and really, but, you know, we, we all do. Like, he's talking to him and the audience is out there and he's talking, talking. He's like, but, you know, we all do some things that are really difficult. And, and he would kind of look towards the crowd to see if they were going to offer some kind of like applause and yes, we understand and like this is part of his, you know, kind of being forgiven and working forward and they didn't. And then you could tell like he didn't really know what he was gonna say next so he sort of stammered through some things and tried to make like a joke to, that just didn't land and he tried to do something else and sort of cued the crowd like, like kind of get my back and I'm watching him and I'm just, I'm just in pain for this guy. Well, he made a mistake, no question, but I'm just in pain for him because he erred and our world loves to remember the worst thing about somebody and see them through that for the rest of their lives, especially when it's somebody who's you know, beautiful, famous, and rich. And I just watched him that day just going, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. And I would, I would bet even if they had just broke out in thunderous applause he would still leave, and if he goes to the next talk show and does the same thing, and they, yay, then, okay, one more, and one more, and one more. Just don't get on Twitter, Will Smith. Like, our world is so incredibly unforgiving. They like it when we fall. And so I just, I think sometimes we just go, if that's the forgiveness that I know, what this is saying, that we are forgiven all our trespasses in Christ, that's too good to be true. Amen. It is too good, but it's true. This is who we are. This is what he has done for us. You know what I really love about this? It says, if you look at it, it says, having forgiven us all our trespasses. You remember who's writing this? Um, this is Paul writing this. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. So if you don't know the story of Paul, his name used to be Saul, I'll just say Paul as I go through this, but um, at, uh, the first martyr, Stephen, it says uh, that Paul was there approving of the execution of him before he came to faith. It says he's there approving of his execution. And this is in Acts chapter eight, and uh, it's into nine a little bit as well. It says Paul, uh, Saul, Paul, was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts 9.1, but Saul, or Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, listen to what he did, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, any that were Christians, that's what they were calling it, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then a little while later, there's this disciple of, uh, of God, his name is Ananias, and um, he hears from the Lord to say, go. I'm sorry, I, I missed a big part in the story. So this is Paul. Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, um, is blinded, has this in incredible conversion experience, but he can't see anything. And so God calls this man Ananias and says, I want you to go. I told this man that um, someone's gonna come and help him be able to see. And so I picture Ananias, it says he's a disciple. And so he's like, oh my goodness, I am packing my bags and, and where am I going, you know, and who is this? And then he hears that it's Saul of Tarsus or Paul. And I just picture him going, wait, what now? I'm gonna unpack. 
But he goes to him, opens his eyes, and then this guy that was killing Christians and going to try and get legal documentation to drag him through the streets has his life changed. And then he says, God has forgiven us all our trespasses. What a remarkable statement. I don't know that thing that you've done or I don't know that thing about you or that thing that you think or that secret that you have or whatever it is and if there's something you're clinging on to and going, I'm not sure if this can be forgiven. It absolutely can. Believe that today. How can that happen? Here's how it happens. Um, Because what does God have that the world doesn't? And the answer is, of course, the gospel. It's the cross. And it says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So how did he do it? Canceling this record of debt that stood against us with its, with its legal demands. He's trying to say, you really are forgiven. And the way you know that you are forgiven is like, like say you owe me a debt. And you owe me $10. And you're trying to, and you give me some money, and you go, does that cover my debt? And the question is, well, did you give me $10? Because if you gave me $10, that's how big the debt was, so $10 covers it. If you owe me a million dollars, not that I would have a million dollars to loan, but you owe me a million dollars, and you go, does this cover the debt? And you shove me a 10, I would go, of course not. The debt is a million dollars. And so how can we know the debt has been paid? It has been paid with a sufficient price. Because God's blood was shed on the cross, and that is an acceptable payment to God. The debt has been paid. It does make me a little nervous, like a parent that tells their kid and just goes, you know what, no matter what you do, no matter what secret you have, no matter, no matter, no matter, I will always love you, I will welcome you with open arms, and I will forgive you. And a kid might go, really? I don't believe a gospel believer who really understands this news of what God has done would do that. Paul addresses this in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, what if I just keep on sinning and then I'll have this great testimony of how God had to forgive all this. I'll have a testimony like Paul's. He says, should we do that? And he says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's not what the Christian does. In fact, there's a phrase that would be used pretty regularly in the day. We, this, this image of the debt we have being taken and nailed to the cross, there was a phrase that they would use pretty frequently in the day that was, um, when you're in debt, it would say it was written by the debtor's own hand. Written by the debtor's own hand. So if, if, um, if you owe me money, instead of me writing the whole thing and then going sign here, what would happen is the debtor would write it with their own hand and then the signature would appear and you could clearly see that it all matched up and then I would just stick my signature on the bottom. And so what they would have understood in the first century, this record of debt is the person who is saying, this is what I owe you. This is a picture of the gospel of coming before God and saying, I am a sinner. I I need you, I'm desperate for you. It is written with our own hand to say, here is our sin. And Jesus says, thank you, and he nails it to the cross. And if you're like me, you might be going, I'm going to need that piece of paper back. I'm going to have to do some more tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. And Jesus says, it is paid. All the sins you've ever committed, you are committing, or ever will commit, are paid for by my blood. There's an old hymn called His Be the Victor's Name. Listen to this. 
What though the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done, I know them well and thousands more. My God, he knoweth none. You are forgiven in Christ. There's implications of this too. First of all, I'd say if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you, you um, feel this need to be accepted and forgiven, um, really it's, it's only in Christ that you can be forgiven. So come to him. Let this be the day that you come to him. And maybe some of us who have been Christians for a while, instead of just receiving the good news and receiving the forgiveness, live our lives not in response to it, but like working hard to try to be the Pharisee, to try to pay God back. And I, I know you died on the cross, but I'm also going to help out by carrying some guilt and shame and carrying a little bit of weight on myself. Stop it. Man, receive the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done, that the payment that he made is sufficient. You know, another implication might be when, uh, if, if, um, if you are forgiven in Christ and there's people around you that won't forgive you and you're going, that is in my past, that is forgiven, I don't know who said it, but, but I love this. Bringing up the past sin to hurt a Christian is like robbing my old house. I don't live there anymore. Biggest thing it does, well, perhaps, is we can forgive others. You probably know the story of uh, Corey Ten Boom in World War II. She hid um, Jews in her home. She got caught. I don't know if you know, she was a watchmaker. I didn't know that. And then she, was, uh, and then she went and spoke all, all over um, because she had learned lessons of forgiveness. There's an article in Christianity Today that says this. Corey Ten Boom was stuck for the war years in a concentration camp, humiliated and degraded, especially in the delousing shower where the women were ogled by the leering guards but she made it through that hell. And eventually she felt she had, by grace, forgiven even those fiends who guarded the shower stalls. So she spoke and wrote about forgiveness for individuals, for all of Europe, all over the world, and one Sunday she spoke in Munich. After the message and greeting people, she saw a man come towards her, hand outstretched, saying, it is wonderful that Jesus forgives us all our sins just as you say. She remembered his face. It was the leering, lecherous, mocking face of one of the guards of the shower stall. Her hand froze by her side. She could not forgive. She thought she had forgiven all, but she could not forgive when she met a guard standing in the solid flesh in front of her. Ashamed, horrified at herself, she prayed, Lord, forgive me. I cannot forgive. And as she prayed, <clears throat> she felt forgiven and accepted in spite of her shabby performance as a famous forgiver. And it says her hand was suddenly unfrozen. The ice of hate melted and her hand went out and she forgave as she was forgiven. I want to equip you to have this kind of radical forgiveness, but first you've got to understand the forgiveness that we have in Christ. I want you to be forgiving. I want you to live really forgiven. There's not really like a counselor trick or some pastor trick that I can give you. It's just an understanding of the gospel, an understanding that you really are forgiven in Christ, that Christ died and the forgiveness that he offers is greater than anything we have here. And it's for you. That's part of 
best news ever.